Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Wings for the game. Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom, cash back. Even a last minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. The Athletic Hockey Show is presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Sign up at BetMGM.com using the promo code THEATHLETICPOD. What's going on, guys? Welcome to The Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. I'm Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports, joined, as always, by Sarah Sivian and Jesse Grager. What's going on, guys? What's up, Jesse? Oh, not much. Just getting up here in Vegas. Beautiful, beautiful winter morning. Oh, shut up. You watched a fun shut game up. last night, eh? <laughs> Man, the Canes are so good. They like I, I'll say this. The say team this. that I've come away the most impressed with watching hockey all season are the Hurricanes. Because nobody's talking about them. I, I will die on this hill. <laughs> Who had 45 seconds into the show in the pool that Sarah would complain that nobody's talking about the Carolina Hurricanes. Usually, usually it's about 10 or 12 minutes into the show. This is a new record. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it wouldn't be a show. They're lethal with their depth scoring. I feel like that's the big thing with them there. And then Freddie Anderson's pretty good. But, I mean, it was a weird game last night with kind of a back and forth. Well, we had a lot of weirdness all week. We're going to hit so much of it. We're going to talk Iron Man with Keith Yandel. What a record there. We're going to talk about the Vancouver Canucks uh, building up their front office and doing it with some diversity. Uh, Aaron Dell. I can't wait to talk about Aaron Dell with Jesse being a goaltender. He's got a big smile on his face. And I don't know if we're going to agree or disagree on this one. We got Henrik Lundqvist. We got Clark Gillies. And of course, we can't do a show without some ugliness in hockey. So we'll talk about that. And um, in the second segment, Tim Warnsby uh, wrote a book called Gold, How Gretzky's Men Ended Canada's 50-Year Olympic Hockey Trout. It's about 2002 uh, Olympics. Uh, it's the 20th anniversary. My God, 20 years since that happened. So we'll talk to him. Uh, about that but let's let's dive in guys Keith Yandel 965 straight games breaking the Ironman record uh, that was held by Doug Jarvis Um, is it me or is a record like this almost a little undervalued I I feel like it just kind of came up right around oh hey three four games away to play nine to do 965 anythings, <laughs> let alone play hockey games without being injured, without missing a game, is super impressive. And I feel like it's not getting the credit that it deserves. What do you think, Sarah? Especially like in the past few years, he never got COVID that took him out. Like, I feel like that is just huge. And I, yeah, I feel like it needs to be celebrated more. I know Keith, um, my, he and my brother are pretty good friends. They went to prep school together. And he says, anybody that knows him knows he'd do something like this just because he doesn't take it too seriously. You know what I mean? Like he'll eat ice cream for a warm up or whatever it is. Somebody wrote that story. And it's just kind of, he genuinely enjoys doing this every single day. What do you think about it, Jesse? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. I had to look up this this stat from Charlie O'Connor, who covers the Flyers for the Athletic, blew me away. He said 132 defensemen have played 965 games ever. So that means Keith Yandel has played more games in a row than 94.7% <laughs> of the people to ever play in the, NF, in the NHL. Wow. Like, 
that is unbelievable, let alone to do it in a row. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's incredible. It's, it's, it's obviously a lot of luck because sometimes a guy gets hit on a bone on an ankle and it breaks and you're out. Like there's nothing you can do. Um, but also (laughs) I can imagine if you were to like, list all of the injuries the guys played through in those 965 games it would be a really really long list so that's the the thing right like it's not and i I don't mean to dump on someone like cal ripkin but when you're playing a sport as physical as hockey by accident you get hurt and the longer you do it the more consecutive games you play there's no way that that wear and tear is not going to get to a point where they're going to say hey you know what why don't you sit out a game and i wonder when when streaks get this long I mean, when he was traded to Philadelphia, it was like a one-day turnaround, and he, he made sure to play that game. You know what I mean? He wanted that streak to continue. But I saw some great stats. The NHL sent this out. When his streak began in March of 2009, Instagram had not yet been officially launched. The first Uber ride had yet to happen. Netflix was not available in Canada, and Barack Obama was two months into his first term as president of the United States. I was that in was the last grade. Time. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing in 2009, Jesse? Um, I had just graduated high school. I was, yeah, a freshman in college. <laughs> Trivia wow. question that I heard last night. You might have heard it last night, but the last coach to make Keith Yandel a healthy scratch, Wayne Gretzky. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. That a, a great trivia question. And then he went on to play 965 games. And the other thing I think that's really interesting about this, this is Phil Kessel sitting at 941 and still going. You would think after playing 965 games, even if you stopped playing right now, if you got hurt, you could cruise for a while. He absolutely cannot. Kessel's right on his ass. This is what I'm saying. It's this type. It takes this type of guy to have this type of streak, right? Like not the... Yeah anal guys that are kind of just obsessed with preparation and making sure everything's perfect. These guys go with the flow, you know? Right. Is the gym the reason all these hockey players are missing games? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not not to say Yandel and Phil Kessel aren't using the gym, but they certainly aren't using it as much as some of the guys we see in the league. Like, like, I think think Sarah's right. I think, I think there's something there's, there's a legitimate point here of guys who just go with the flow and, and don't take it too seriously. Uh, Maybe it's just something about that mentality that allows them to not get hurt in games. Yeah. So when I ask you later in the show, what you're working on, you should be working on a piece about how players should just stop working out, (laughs) you know, ice cream before (laughs) games, gain as much of that extra padding as you can, because then you can play over 900 games in the NHL. Uh, You know, and, and congrats to Doug Jarvis, who held that record since 1987. And I love, I don't know about you guys, I love when a record gets broken. And the person whose record is being broken is just so humble and so kind of classy about it. Like he was doing a lot of interviews yesterday and I saw him just saying like, it's great to see somebody break this record. And again, nothing against either other records. Like when Patrick Marlowe broke um, Gordy Howe's all-time games played record, great accomplishment. Don't get me wrong. But to do this without missing a game to me, I think this should be bigger news than it actually is. So we're going to give him all the credit that he deserves. Uh, Vancouver Canucks making some uh, news. It looks like they found their man in Patrick Alvin to be their new GM, but that's kind of not what everyone was talking about this week. Um, they named Emily Costengay as their assistant GM, first female assistant GM in franchise history, second all time in the National Hockey League. Uh, a former agent. And again, we talked about this last week, didn't we? About agents becoming, you know, GMs and assistant GMs. And it just seems like it's become the natural course of action. But uh, obviously this is, this is big news as far as being a trailblazer and, and, and hopefully opening up the doors, at least for other women to get opportunities because for so long they weren't getting those opportunities. Yeah. It's so funny when people are like, Oh, we're just hiring anyone now, or we're just hiring her because she's a woman when she like to break a barrier, when she has a degree that only half of agents have, and she is brilliant at her job and any of her employees will, or what is it? Um, clients will tell you that, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, to me, this is interesting. Obviously her breaking barriers. That's great to me. I'm interested in the trend of, of agents becoming GMs. I feel like speaking with George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon as often as I do, I feel like it's an important 
aspect of being a GM to distance yourself from the players and not build those relationships because you have to make hard decisions. Like the hardest part of GM of being a GM is like the Golden Knights have had to make plenty. They just traded Mark Andre Fleury. Um, it and whereas being an agent is almost the opposite. Like mo- almost maybe the most important part about being an agent, obviously, is negotiating contracts, but it's building relationships with players. So these agents who have sp- spent their entire career building relationships with as many players as possible are now in a position where that almost is a detriment to them doing like not that not that it's going to prevent them, but they're going to have to switch the way that they have operated. Um, it's really super interesting to me. I don't think that there's anything preventing these agents from becoming awesome GMs, but it's, I don't know. It's just an interesting dynamic. I love it because I think nobody knows you better than like the devil's advocate there. Like they understand exactly how it works because they've been on the other side of it. And I think that gives you so much more credibility than if you just played 300 games in the NHL. <laughs> but it's funny that they they do have to go into it now, having been on the other side, having negotiated and fought for more money for their clients to suddenly be a GM where you're trying to <laughs> let's be honest, get the best bargain. You got to stay under the cap. You know what I mean? So it's, it's suddenly you go, wait a minute. Last year, you were you were right, exactly. holding firm and doing this. And, and now you're like, no, 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 we don't have the money. You're trying um, to squeeze the, the agent and the agent's like, last year, you just signed this deal for this guy. I mean, I don't yeah. understand why you can't just give it to my guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she, she had a pretty star-studded list as well. Yeah. Lexi Lafreniere, um, Marie-Philippe Poulin. Um, and it's interesting because, um, who else? Well, Antoine Roussel, who said, you know, she felt horrible. And this goes to what you're talking about, Jesse. In that phone call saying, I'm really sorry. Like we can't, we can't work together anymore, obviously. And he's like, I knew, he said he knew this was going to happen. Some people are just kind of, you see it, they're destined to do something like this. Um, but again, I hope this opens the doors, but I, I think you got some there, Jesse, with as far as these agents all becoming general managers. And we touched on this last week. I, I'm no accountant and I'm certainly not their accountant, but you've got to figure they're taking a pretty good pay cut if you've got a really big client list, right? Like we're talking millions and millions of dollars and you're getting a chunk of every little bit of it. This has to be something you want to do. Right. For sure. It's definitely a, a like legacy job, right? Like I'm sure if not, if not, you can at least for sure, you can at least make as much money being an agent. This isn't a money move. This is a, I want to put my stamp on the sport of hockey. Um, Not that you can't as an agent, but as a GM, it's obviously much, much different. Let's talk about Arendelle. I want to get to this. Um, <laughs> this is, I've been wanting to get, like, it just, okay, I'll ask, I'll, I'll get to the question that I just threw out on Twitter before our show in just a few minutes, but we saw it yesterday. Drake Batherson just gets crunched by Arendelle, who is, in case you don't follow the game, a goaltender. Uh, not only did Batherson not have the puck, but um, the puck was nowhere near him. And this is something we've seen from Arendelle on many, many occasions. Uh, he's got a hearing scheduled with the Department of Player Safety. As soon as I saw it, I went, that's got to be a suspension. Are we in agreement? Or do you think this is one of those things that people are over-exaggerating? Sarah, we're going to start with you on this one. <laughs> you just can't. Like, if you want to do that, be a skater. You can't do that. you got yeah. a different set of rules. And the expert, Jesse, could comment on that. Yes, just just for, for you know people listening... Jesse himself is a goaltender. So I want to hear what you got to say here, Jesse. To me, the biggest, the most important thing here is that the player is not expecting to be hit by the goalie. Not only are they not expecting to be hit by the goalie, they're actively trying to dodge him. So if you're a player and you're cutting, like the player skates right next to Dell and if that's another player, you're expecting a bump. You're bracing for it. You're you're kind of angling your skates to, to know that, okay, if this guy makes contact with me, I can't just go flying in the boards. Whereas with a goalie, you know, I can't hit him. He's not going to hit me. I'm just going to kind of skate by him. You're you're not in, on balance as well as you would be if you were expecting contact. And then suddenly, even like Dell, he lowered his shoulder. He, he kind of extended his elbow. He did the same thing to Mark Stone in a preseason game when he was in San Jose two years ago. That immediately popped him in my head the second I seen the clip. He's a repeat offender with this. Yes. <laughs> You just can't. And like even Matt Murray said it last night after the game, like you can't hit guys when they aren't expecting to be hit because it's really, really dangerous when you're not expecting to be hit. And then you suddenly get a little bump that otherwise wouldn't be that detrimental, but it it throws you off balance and you hit the end boards. 
he can't do it. And and like people are saying, oh, we got to make the goalies fair game then. Like, no, that's not the answer either. The goalie still doesn't need to be, at least that's what people on Isn't Twitter think. Isn't it, Jesse? <laughs> the goalies just need to not check guys. And that's the end of it. And that's Aaron Dell needs to stop. Low. And he said, oh, I was trying to get in his way of so, to like buy my guy some time. Like, no, you lowered the shoulder. I mean, even that, like, you're not really supposed to be doing that. I don't know. One time when I was in a men's league game, it's the worst I've ever felt about anything in my whole life playing hockey. I went into the corner to get the puck. There's no trapezoids where I'm playing, so I'm allowed to go in the corner. <laughs> and one of the better players that I play with, his name's Matt, he comes flying around and I didn't see him. And like, just as a reaction, I like stuck my butt out to get in his way and it flattened him, like knocked the wind out of him. <laughs> felt, and like, this is like one of the biggest, most physical players, like dude never gets knocked down. And I wrecked him with just a tiny little move of my hip. And the reason is because he's not expecting me to do that. I felt yeah. so bad. I like helped him to the bench. I'm like, oh my God, you can't hit guys when you're the goalie. They're just not expecting it. It's a totally different scenario than any other player on the ice hitting someone. A hundred percent. And that's why he's got a meeting with the department of player safety. This is, if I hear one more person say, this is simply an interference call, I'm going to lose it. That's like saying somebody slashes you from the bench and saying, well, it's a two-minute slashing penalty. No, it's not. I can skate by the bench having full expectation that nobody's going to touch me. That's the same thing here. And I know you kind of joked about this, Jesse, but it's still, I, I, sometimes I sit on the fence with it, that if a goalie wants to come out and play the puck, we might be at a point where you might be fair game. I, I, I'm even in favor of you know, the trapezoid or giving a bigger area where a goalie can play the puck. But we see goalies really come out to play the puck you know, near the top of the circle at times, why are they given that, that freedom of, of now we have to avoid you? Um, this thing, I, I have a feeling we're going to find this out very soon. And I, I wonder if his, his past is going to come into play because like you said, you can, you can run a, a highlight reel of Arendelle trucking players. And you guys remember Ranta earlier this season? He kind of came out to basically half court and decked. I forget who it was, but it was so scary because obviously the guy had his head down because he's not expecting the goalie yeah. to come out there. So it's kind of this situation where, of course, it might not be an intent of a goaltender, but it's still super dangerous. And there's no more dangerous person in the world than someone who feels protected. You know what I mean? Wow, you mentioned the Mark so Stone deep. one. Jeez. Thank you. <laughs> deep thoughts by Rob Pizzo. Um, the Joker. No, but what I'm saying is, like, I feel like Aaron Dell gets off on this a little bit. You mentioned the Mark Stone incident, which, of course, I've seen a million times this morning as well. Um, he just kind of smiles at him to say, what are you going to do? You can't hit me. You can't do anything. He feels protected. And... If somebody lays a dirty hit on another player during the game, you could say, you know, the, the age old cliche in hockey, get his number and get him back later. Well, what the hell are you going to do with Aaron Dell? You're not going to be able to do that because he's protected. So um, I think it's, I mean, it's an in-person hearing. You got to figure five games because the other thing is, as DJ Smith pointed out afterwards, Drake Batherson is now not going to the all-star game because he suffered a serious ankle injury. We hear from the NHL all the time. See, it, it, the injury comes into play when deciding the discipline. So I'm, I'm going to go five games, Jesse. Yeah, I think that's probably about about right, man. If you're Aaron Dell, like you're a guy who's like, this isn't a superstar goalie. Like you're you're just in the league, like just in the yeah. league, like trying to fight for a full time job. Like, man, stop doing this. <laughs> Sarah, how many games? Yeah, yeah, he's playing like he's a skater trying not to get sent down to the age. Right. That's not how he should act. Yeah, five games sets a precedent, right? I think that's fair. Let's stick with goalies for a minute. Henrik Lundqvist is going to have his number retired on Friday. Uh, the number 30 being raised to the rafters. Winningest goaltender in Rangers franchise history. 15 seasons. He, how many? You know how many team records he holds? He holds All of them. 50 team <laughs> records that number is almost comical um at least for me i think he's when you talk about the best goalies of his generation he's right in there especially when it comes to consistency uh and like i said last week guys anytime there's a ceremony bet against the new york rangers uh because they always seem to lose but when you think of henrik lungfist what do you think of sarah I hate to say it like and when i start thinking about it too much it makes me want to almost cry but the fact that he didn't want to cup like it just, yeah. it's so wrong to me. He deserves better. 
Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Um, you, he, I think him, Mark Andre Fleury, and Roberto Luongo are to me like this generation. And it's hard to split generations and where it stops. But to me, like the Hashik Wa Bell Four generation went, and then the next, like this is the next one, the Fleury Luongo uh, Lundquist. And and he was, you could argue he was better than both Fleury and Luongo during that stretch. But he just the Rangers teams. I mean, they had some decent teams that got him there, but just couldn't quite get him one. It really does suck that a goalie that good. Um, can be as good as he is as he was first because for me as a goalie nerd what sticks out is he was just different man he played on the goal line like you hear goalies talk about coming out challenging the shooter don't give him enough space to shoot um if you're if you're too far back you don't have the time to react that guy did have the time to react he played goalie in a way that every goalie coach tells you not to he stood with his heels on his goal line and just used his ridiculous hand-eye coordination physical abilities to snatch pucks and he's freaking awesome I wish you would want to stay in the cup. I'm with you guys on that one. The other thing that always pops in my head with Henrik Lundqvist, do you remember when he won the Vesna and he accidentally said the F word during his speech? <laughs> he he yes. was thanking people. He's like, oh, I want to thank my teammates and the trainers. And he, he had a little brain lapse of like trying to think of the next person to thank. So he's like, my trainers, my teammates. Fuck. Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is during his acceptance speech for the Vesna trophy. And it was... It was just so genuine. So congratulations. Henrik Lundqvist, number 30, being raised to the rafters with some pretty uh, big names as well in New York. Uh, no good way to transition into this topic, guys, but it was obviously something really huge this uh, this week. Uh, Jacob Panetta, AHL defenseman, was an AH, uh, ECHL defenseman uh, for the Jacksonville Iceman. Um the video went out on Twitter and we, we knew everybody was going to be talking about this made what was interpreted as a racial gesture to uh, Jordan Subban, younger brother of PK Subban uh, immediately was suspended by the league immediately was released by the team. And the, um, the aftermath has been huge guys. PK Subban obviously jumped on Twitter and, and talked about it. George LaRock said, when is this going to end? Suspend the kid for life. Uh, he has since come out on Instagram and said he wasn't trying to do anything racial. He was trying to not, what's the word I'm looking for here? He, he was trying to be the, oh, you're a tough guy bodybuilder pose that we've seen Tom Wilson do on, on numerous occasions. I don't want this to get into the, uh, was he, wasn't he? Because we really, you know, there's no way of knowing a hundred percent, but uh, what was your first reaction when you saw this, Jesse? Um, I, so I forgot. I wish I could give him credit. I saw someone post that. I think the reaction, the 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 general reaction by the public to this is shows that we're making some progress, like not as much progress as we need to, because this shouldn't still be happening. But I think if this happened five years ago, 10 years ago, the reaction is not quite as swift and he's gone and the team cuts him. And I think I think it shows we are making some progress. Um I'm sure Sarah can can talk about it a little more, but I, I I wish there was more progress. But I think that there are some positive signs that people are fed up with this shit. Yeah, I'll give us that. I loved Ryan Clark's piece on it. Check it out. But I will also say some of the I'm putting this in quotation marks journalism surrounding this situation rubbed me the wrong way a lot because it is like you said. We don't want to get into do I believe him or do I not, and that's what it became. For people, they're like, oh, I talked to him and I believe he didn't have racial intent when really it's not about his intent if it was perceived by a black person as a racist action. So let's talk to the other people on the ice who also at the time saw it as racist. Let's talk to Subban and let's see, let's do the actual journalism if we're going to write about it and see what all these people had to say about it. And if it turns out that he didn't mean it and that like they can hash it out then that's fine but i don't think we should jump to be like okay i talked to him and he seemed sad and he cried on a video so let's believe him you know yeah i struggled a lot with this one because i saw the video and as soon as i saw it i, I was with george rock at first saying out gone enough you know we, we've seen this before and again i'm not saying i believe him i'm not saying i don't believe him but We've also seen somebody get piled on for something that maybe, just maybe, wasn't what it looked like. Now, should he be doing anything that could be interpreted or even misinterpreted that way? Probably not. Um, should he be going on Instagram and saying non-racialized? And, and I, I don't know what, what advice he's getting and from whom. Um, 
So it, it's been a real tough one for me for this one, but obviously you can understand why people would interpret it that way. You can understand why people would get angry. And I'm with you, Jesse, and that the, the response, at least when people thought what it was and whether it was it or not, was pretty, was pretty huge. Uh, and that's, that's a good thing. So I, I, I hate to say it this way, but sometimes it's just a wait and see, we're going to see what happens here uh, in regards to that. But for now, right now, he's not playing hockey uh, anywhere before we go. Um, do you want to say some sad news in the hockey world? Hall of Famer and former Islander Clark Gillies uh, passed away this week, 67 years old due to cancer. Um, part of that Oilers dynasty that won four cups in a row, part of one of the greatest lines ever with Trache and Bossy. Um, I didn't know this. I, I was reading this on, on one of the, the articles about him. Um, talk about multi-talented. He played three years of minor league ball for the Houston Astros system. <laughs> These people who are just so, so talented that they have to, at some point, choose a professional sport to play. Uh, I'm jealous, but um, sad news guys and condolences to the, to the, to the Gillies family. We just wanted to mention that. And uh, yeah, I know, I know his, um, his son-in-law, Justin Bourne, I hosted a show with him for a while and uh, interesting story there. His dad, Bob Bourne was on that team as well. They, they married Clark Gillies' daughter. He said they've got pictures of them as little kids together at the rink. And I immediately texted Justin and he said, you know, just to say that Clark was a really good man. It's going to be a really sad time for the family. So condolences there. Uh, stick around after the break. It's the 20th anniversary of the gold medal at the 2002 Olympic Games in Salt Lake City. And our old buddy Tim Warnsby wrote a book called Gold, How Gretzky's Men Ended Canada's 50-Year Olympic Drought. We'll talk to him about that and that tournament. I see the two Americans on this show going, oh, we got to hear Canadians <laughs> brag about a gold medal again. And yes, we're going to do it right after the break. Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you used your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Wings for the game. Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey, boom, cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you used your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game-changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Well, February 24th will be the 20th anniversary of Canada breaking that 50-year drought and winning gold at the Winter Olympics. And our next guest wrote a book all about it. I've known this man for many years. I've hosted many a radio show with him. I even sang karaoke with this man in Helsinki, Finland. Tim Barnsby <laughs> joining us on the Athletic Round Table. How are you, sir? Good. How are you, Rob? Hi, Jesse. Hi, Sarah. I didn't know if you wanted me to tell you, but yeah, he sings, sings a mean, mean karaoke. We were following the theme in 2018, but this book yeah. uh, about the 20, 2002 uh, Olympic gold medal, and it was huge here in Canada. I know that. But w when did you come up with the idea to do this, and, and what was kind of the motivation? Well, the motivation was, is I was helping Scott Morrison out with a, his book on the 50th anniversary of 1972. And we were discussing various projects. Uh, you know, his book will be out in May, I believe. And we were discussing various projects. And uh, I, I came up with this idea and he wasn't really interested in it because he wasn't there and I was. Uh, you know, this was a really uh, important time for, uh, for the Canadian hockey landscape, if you recall. Uh, they lost the World Cup to, uh, to the United States in 1996. Um, Dominic Hasek uh, beat him out, beat, beat Canada out in the semifinals in 1998. There was a hockey summit, what's wrong with Canadian hockey? So even the World Junior Program, which was almost a yearly thing, they win gold, was going through a bit of a dry spell. I think they went without a gold from 1998 to 2005 when Sidney Crosby came on the scene. So 
it was an important time and uh, I knew there'd be a story behind the story. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the 23 players who I talked to from this team were so open and you could tell how proud they were of this accomplishment. Uh, a lot of vivid memories. Even Gretzky was uh, tremendous in some of his recall uh, right down the line to all the coaching staff, management staff. So it was a real treat to talk to all these people. Well, yeah, that was my next question because I saw you interviewed 35 people uh, for yeah. the book. And when you're doing these interviews, obviously these aren't quick scrum type interviews. They're a little more sit down, have a conversation with uh, interviews. Who are some of the ones that stood out? Who are some of the ones that you think as soon as you were done that interview, oh man, this guy gave me a lot of gold or this woman gave me a lot of gold? Well, Joe Sackick uh, was probably the first and foremost, just because, uh, you know, he kept calling me back uh, with another story or something else. He wanted to read a quote. You know, I, I would have sent him a quote back. He wanted to make sure he got it just perfect. And, uh, uh, you know, he was a real treat to deal with on this project. In fact, it reminds me of another story from Jerome Aginla. You know, after that first game, Canada stunk out the joint against uh, Sweden, lost 5-2. And the next day at practice, uh Joe Sackick shows up at the rink to see he's, he's gone from playing on a line with Mario Lemieux and Steve Eiserman to, a, to his new line mates of Jerome Aginla and Simon Gagne. Just young punks back in those days, they hadn't really made their way. Uh, you know, the first thing Aginla, because he's so humble, thought, oh my God, Sackick's going to be pissed that, you know, he's he has to play with us now after playing with Eiserman and Lemieux. And Sackick walked right over to them and said, hey, guys, I'm excited to be on your line. Let's have some fun. And we all know how that how that turned out for the how the tournament turned out for them. They were probably the best line in that last game and so dominant. So but Joe, Joe's definitely won. Um, uh, Wayne Gretzky, you know, I had a history with Gretzky. He didn't like something I wrote uh, way back when when he became a uh, when he became an owner, part owner and in uh, Phoenix. Uh, you know, he, he said we got to take care of the small market teams. Uh, one summer he said that after a spending spree by Detroit. And uh, I said, you know, Wayne, you're forgetting about Wayne Gretzky, the player, because the only time he became a free agent, he signed with arguably the biggest market in the league, the New York Rangers. So I thought it was a bit hypocritical, but, uh, you know, after some cajoling, I know Bob Nicholson, the, C the former CEO of Hockey Canada, helped me get Gretzky on the line. And I promised Wayne 15, 20 minutes, no longer. We got to the 20 minute mark. And I said, Wayne, I promised you, no longer than 20 minutes. And he said, well, just a second here. I've got a few more stories. And he went on and on and on. And it was just great stuff. And uh, it just, you know, this whole thing about um, Jim Matheson uh, last week uh, uh, with Tricital, it just reminds me of something I actually wrote in, in I think it was in the introduction. You know, we're, 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 some of us older reporters are really fortunate because way down in the 50s, Gordy Howe sort of set the standard for how a, a superstar should act with, with reporters and the public. Uh, you know, he was such a gentleman and that passed on to Jean Beliveau, who passed on that to Bobby Orr, Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messi. You know, you can just go on and uh, Dale Howardchuk was one of my favorites. How accommodating they were, how good they were, how insightful they were, thoughtful they were. And that's what this group really was. You could, you, you could really see why they pulled it out in the end after that horrible start. They just had a calmness about them, a lot of leaders, and uh, you know that's why they pulled it out. You mentioned that it was a weird time in in Canada hockey, like like yeah. they've been dominant for so long. It's almost hard to believe that there was a a, a point where they weren't dominant. Like how how different? We panicked, Jesse. We panicked when things like, don't do you, go how well. How big do you think that that yeah. win was? Like you mentioned the World Juniors and like just the development of hockey Canada. Like, do you think things are differently if that are different right now today? If if that team doesn't pull that win out in that tournament. Well, the pressure just continues to mount. Um, you know, I, I go into the whole history of why Canada had gone 50 years uh, uh, without a gold medal victory in the Olympics. And a lot of it had to do is because Canada's best players were always in the NHL. There was the old argument that uh, uh, the Russian team was, uh, uh, was, a real was really professional. You know, they trained together 10 months of a year. They got paid for playing for the Red Army team. Most of them were all on the Red Army team in the, in the old thrown back in the former Soviet Union League. And uh, so there, there was, a, if, can you imagine if they didn't win that uh, in 2002, then it was another four years till the next shot. It's not like the World Junior where you get a shot to redeem yourself uh, every year. Uh, so I, I think because of the, that summit, uh, uh, it, you know, Gretzky told a really interesting story. He said one of the reasons why he had that rant after the third game against Czech Republic, I don't think it was his... his uh, 
as good as Phil Esposito's in the 72 Summit Series, but it was, you know, pretty hard felt. And he said, you know, because he's such a hockey historian, he says, all I could think about, the best team in the tournament up to that point was, was the United States. And all I could think about, here's another winter mix in the U.S., the two previous ones in 1960, Squaw Valley, California, and 1980, of course, Lake Placid, which was a great milestone win for the U.S. Uh, hockey system were won by the home country. And all he could see was, here we go again. They're going to win at home. They're playing the best. And, uh, you know, all this buildup, uh, that, that's why he sort of got all pent up and, uh, and had had that passionate plea after that uh, check game. You know, Timmy, when you, I've read a lot of books about events or a tournament or something. And sometimes I can't stand when the whole book ends up just being play-by-play or something we've seen on television. I want to hear about the deep down stories. And you alluded to this earlier. And there was one story when I was reading this book that, jumped out to me and, and it deals with the Gretzky rant or the tizzy as you like to call it um, when afterwards he was going out to the parking lot and there's Bill McCreary the referee in that game and Bill McCreary wanted to talk to Wayne and said Wayne my 12 year old daughter is being tormented at school because of your rant all her friends are saying that dad's a cheater and dad did this and dad did that and and Gretzky being Wayne Gretzky said I'll call her I'll call the school I'll talk to the you know, the, 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 the class and, and, and gave this great kind of almost an apology to say I, I, that's not was my not my intention. I'd never heard that story. I don't know if you had heard that story and asked Wayne and, and Bill about it. Or was that one of those stories where you heard just as you were writing this book? No, that was definitely one of the stories that came in overtime with my interview with Wayne Gretzky after that 20 minute mark. He says, yeah, I want to tell you about that. You know, we, we, we did talk about the rant. Uh, 20 or sorry, 20 years later, was he, was he embarrassed by it? How did he feel about it? And that, that's one of the stories he, he, can't, he told me about. So I, I have a good relationship with McCreary. Uh, all the years I was on the road, you know, he was one of the great guys to, to have a beer with after a game because he was such a good storyteller. He, and he had such, he was a player himself. So he had such a good uh, intellect about the game. So I phoned Bill back in Guelph to, to get his side of the story. And he goes, you know, I was expecting a real confrontation from Gretzky in the parking lot. Not physical, but just <laughs> a pretty good verbal spat. And he took it like such a man. And he said, oh, really, McCurry's message to, to Gretzky was, I, I want to just, I just want you to know how much weight your words carry back in Canada. You know, here's what happened to my daughter. And, you know, the ending of that story is that uh, Gretzky offered to phone the school and, and gather the kids around the phone. And I don't know if they had speaker phones back in those days. They probably did. Um, and just say, leave her alone. This isn't what I meant. It was in the heat of the, you know, Mr. McCreary is the best referee in the game. And, you know, Bill is so proud of what happened, uh, not in that particular incident, but later in the tournament, uh, when, 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 when the two sides get together before a big game, like the gold medal game, so Lou Lamorello, I believe, was the general manager of the United States team. Obviously, uh, Wayne Gretzky was for Canada. And they decided on who's going to referee. And Lamorello said, my players want Bill McCurry, obviously a Canadian. Well, back in those days, the International Ice Hockey Federation had a rule that you could not referee a game with uh, if, your, if your home country was involved. And uh, the U.S. made a very, very forceful uh, statement that it was either McCurry or nobody. They got their way, and, uh, you know, Bill had a great line about that. He goes, for me, there were just two teams, one more red and white and one more red, white, and blue. And uh, he says, all I know is that uh, when I was standing around after the game ended, I he knew exactly how many players, I can't remember now, it was 13 or 14, 14 American players came up and shook my hand and said, great job today. So it's kind of a neat little sidebar to the whole story. It's so funny sometimes how the best stories are kind of told in passing at the 20 minute mark. Like you said, yeah. right. Did you see that a lot when you were writing your book? Yeah, for sure. Like I, you know, you, when you write a book, Sarah, you have an outline that you, you, you send to the publisher and, and uh, you know, they decide of whether it's worthy enough. And uh, you know, I, I kept having to change it because there were so many stories that came out of this. Uh, you know, one of the chapters I thought would, would be a good one was because it was a very controversial uh, uh, moment or, or, or day or two uh, early in the tournament is when Pat Quinn, the coach of the Canada team, but also the Toronto Maple Leafs, had to turn his back on Curtis Joseph and go with Martin Brodeur. And, you know, I, I love Curtis Joseph. He was one of my favorite people to, to, to cover uh, in Toronto here. And uh, I thought this is going to be a hard 
subject to bring up with him, but he was so bloody honest. And he, you know, he says, I've thought a lot about it. What did I do wrong? And, you know, why did I, I, I not play very well? And he, he really shouldn't take the blame. Like uh, four of the five goals that uh, Sweden scored were off the rush in that first game. And, uh, you know, he had, he really didn't have, and, and he didn't have anywhere to go really. And it was a, it was a team that was such in a, a, a messy state at the beginning of the tournament. They had a long way to travel too. And, uh, you know, Curtis just said one of the, one of the things that I like to play a lot. And one of the things I did, I, I guarded against injury before the playoffs. I didn't go to the Olympic break uh, a week before, and I, he was picked to go to the Olympics. And he says, I was just a little bit rusty. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're thrown in against, well, Sweden was one of the better teams too early in the tournament until that flop against Belarus. Uh, this is what happened. And it really told a, a good state of the, a mental state of an elite athlete, what he went through in such a, a big stage. Timmy, I have contended my whole life that the 87 Canada cup team was the greatest Canadian team ever assembled. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know there's arguments for 76. Um, I know there's obviously arguments for 72 and I'm reading your book and I see that the 87 team had 12 hall of famers, but I was a little bit surprised to see that the O2 team had 14 hall of famers, more hall of famers yeah. than, than 87. When I think 87, I think, how could a team be better than that? I'm considering you now an expert since you've written a book about yeah. Canadian Olympic teams. Greatest Canadian hockey team ever was the? Uh, it's too, it's, it's like. Oh, <laughs> you're copping out. <laughs> uh, you know, the one thing why, again, why this team interests me so much is because uh, of the 14 Hall of Famers. And you could argue Curtis Joseph should be in the through we can make 15 and 16. We'll, we'll, we'll see down the road. Uh, I just thought that because of the fact they didn't have that Paul Henderson moment, that Daryl Sittler moment, that uh, Sidney Crosby goal and goal, uh, obviously Gretzky to Lemieux, uh, that this was an un, sort of an unforgotten team. And, uh, you know, they, they, they did big things. They ended a 50-year drought. They ended a, a real uh, down period in, uh, in Canadian hockey. Uh, I think it was Brendan Shanahan had this great little story about sitting around in the dressing room, having a Bud Light after the gold medal game. And I think it was Kevin Lowe, who was part of the management team was sitting beside Shanny. And he said, you know, the scary thing about this team, I wish I could see them play in another week. This team had peaked. (laughs) That's how good they were. He said, he thought that they still had room to travel room to develop. And uh, that's how dominant they were in that final game against the U S well, yeah, the book was great. I really enjoyed it. Gold, How Gretzky's Men Ended Canada's 50-Year Olympic Drought. And it's available February 1st, correct? I think it's been delayed because of the um, border problems getting things back and forth. So I'm going to say sometime mid-February. It'll be out just while we're getting around to see another U.S.-Canada final uh, <laughs> in Beijing. Perfect. And then, and then you got to come back on the show and help even up the two-on-two Canadian-U.S. <laughs> dynamic of this podcast, Timmy. Yeah, for sure. Well, <laughs> Tim, thanks so much. Really enjoyed the book. Make sure to go get it. There are plenty of other stories that even if you're a hardcore hockey fan, you probably haven't heard. Thanks so much, Timmy. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Big thanks to Tim Warnsby for coming on and talking about the new book. After the break, your Twitter questions. You keep writing them. We will keep reading them. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Okay, time for the best part of the show. Twitter, Twitter, <laughs> Twitter. Sarah's laughing. We're actually going to change a little bit of this. Yes. You know, in the past, we've kind of asked people, hey, what do you want to talk about? And we got good answers. And let's face it, we got some bad ones. So 
Um, the one thing I've noticed, guys, you two are both very, very active on Twitter. You've got a bajillion followers between you guys. Um, and so many times I see you guys interacting with people throughout the week. And I think, oh, that would be a great topic on the show. So I want you guys to bring some of your favorite tweets from the week to the show every single week. And, and today's the first day we're going to do that. Uh, Sarah, I'll let you start. Is there, is there a tweet that pissed you off, that made you happy, that just intrigued you, one that you thought might elicit some good conversation. What are some of your favorite tweets that you received this week or saw this week? I would never be pissed off on the internet. You're talking to wrong girl. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, I will say I was happy with one NHL tweet yesterday. Um, at first, when I saw this, I thought it was just kind of, which would still be awesome, like a little black boy that loved Quentin Byfield. But this boy's name is actually Quentin Byfield too. And he said, you're my hero, Quentin Byfield. You're the reason I play hockey and you're such an inspiration. And that made me cry honestly because it, that is just the crux of representation and why it's so important and I it, it was just so beautiful to see and it was so kind of ironic I guess just so serendipitous I guess is the best word that that's his actual name I mean what are the chances but just a sweet moment in all that hellscape that is Twitter Jesse did you have one this week but wait before we get to Jesse I'll fully admit I thought the kid was nervous and messed up when I first saw the video <laughs> Yeah, like, I thought, so I. I'm like, there's no way that's his <laughs> yeah, name. Right. Exactly. And I thought it would be like, hi, I'm Wayne Gretzky. I'm here to see Wayne yeah. Gretzky. And he's like nervous and whatever. Yeah. And then you find out the kid's name is Quentin Byfield. Yeah. But that's, that's crazy. All right. Now go ahead, Jesse. <laughs> so I, I'm so unprepared for this. I don't, <laughs> we're, we're starting out. We're going on the fly here, people next week. It'll be better. Yeah. And it's your fault people. Cause you didn't give us good tweets. I will, I will say, just trying to come up with something right here. I tweeted out, so Robin Leonard took a hundred mile, a 99 mile per hour slap shot off the face from Alex Ovechkin uh, the other night, and it dented his mask. It cracked the, the actual weld on the mat, on the cage of his mask. So I will say my favorite thing on Twitter was everyone's reaction to that picture and all the people that are like, so if you want to be goalie in the NHL, this is what you have to deal with. I was, it, I don't know. I was just very entertained by, I think we, I think we sometimes forget how fast this puck is going and how hard it's hitting these guys, not just the goalies, but the guys who are laying in front of it to block the shots. They've got far less padding. I think, I guess, I guess my reaction was just seeing NHL Twitter, hockey Twitter, all agreeing on something that this is absolutely absurd that Alex Ovechkin is doing this with a hockey puck. Um, it was fun to watch all of the horror, like just the horror on everyone's Twitter faces when they saw uh, what he did to Robin Leonard's cage. I've done a lot of ringside reporting and a lot of times you kind of have to set up camp right behind the net. And that includes during warmups. Um, you get scared so many times as you're like, and, and especially if you're on television, your backs to the, the glass, you're kind of like, Hey, we got a big game today. And all of a sudden a slap shot will hit the glass right behind your ear. And you just have to be like, don't jump on TV. Don't jump. On, it's just, you're right. Like until you get to ice level, sometimes you don't realize TV doesn't do it justice. Being in the stands that sometimes doesn't do it justice. But when you're on ice level, it, it'll blow your mind. I got a tweet from someone named Moto Writer. And something we alluded to earlier, and I'm glad I'm not the only one who thinks this. Keith Yandel breaking Doug Jarvis's Ironman record is incredible accomplishment that just doesn't seem to be a big deal in the media, especially for defensemen to do it in this game. And he tweeted and or sorry, tagged a whole bunch, any pretty much anyone in hockey media <laughs> he tagged <laughs> to say, what the hell are you guys doing? And you know what, Moto Rider? You're right. What are they doing? That's why we tried to, we put it right at the top of the show. Wanted mm -hmm. to talk about it. It's an incredible feat. Congratulations to Keith Yandel. Congratulations to Doug Jarvis for having that record for so long. Um, and who knows? I want, and I wonder now how long before, if, if, if Phil Kessel wasn't right on his, his tail, is this one of those situations where he sits out a game just to, okay, you know what? Let's just end this thing. So nobody talks about it. I think he's got to at least go for a thousand before he does that. I think it'd be so funny if he just didn't play in the next game, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> kind of don't feel like racking up some, uh, gonna sit this one racking up some PTO. Yeah. I think he <laughs> <laughs> doesn't roll over. Be careful. <laughs> well, Doug Jarvis was a healthy scratch when his streak ended and Doug Jarvis got sent down to the minors and then he retired. But the interesting thing about Doug Jarvis's record was 964 straight games. He played 964 games in the NHL. He, 
he did not miss a game from his opening game until the streak ended. So uh, interesting stat there. Wraps up another show, guys. It was a fun one. What do we got working on this week? Jesse, we'll start with you. I am working on a story on Alex Petrangelo. Um, heard a fun story about how he kind of has taken the young defenseman, Dylan Coghlan, Zach Whitecloud, Nick Haig, under his wing in Vegas. Um, I was told the story by assistant coach Steve Spot about how Petrangelo had them ca- dragging each other with ropes and pushing nets across the ice way after practice uh, during the summer when they had just gotten back to Vegas and how that kind of just like set the groundwork for uh, his leadership with this team. He's obviously not the captain here like he was in St. Louis, but uh, getting some really cool behind the scenes stories about how Alex, Alex Petrangelo is uh, helping the Golden Knights. How about you, Sarah? Uh, not much cooking right now. You know, when you have those dry <laughs> periods, I'm kind of rejuvenating at the all-star break but i do have a hundred questions in my mailbag that i'm dropping tomorrow so i'm gonna try to answer a lot of them a hundred questions we'll see what that's all about later today all right keep an eye out for those things thanks guys we'll see you next week i want to let everybody know before we go uh some of the other great coverage we got on the athletic hockey show uh buffalo sabers forward alex tuck is going to join craig customs and sean gentilly this week uh, so be sure to tune into that. We want to thank you for listening to this Athletic Hockey Show Roundtable Edition. You can give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget, leave a rating and a review. You can subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. This week, it's our turn to provide the bonus content for subscribers to hear it. You can start with a 30-day free trial, then it's just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. The Athletic Hockey Show continues Thursday with Ian Mendez and down goes Brown. For Jesse, for Sarah, I'm Rob. We'll see you next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.